0: From the courtroom to the tabloids, welcome to All Rise, the podcast that lets you be the jury. We will discuss and debate provocative celebrity news stories, court cases, political controversies, crime, and other hot topics of the day. With on-the-scene correspondence, officials directly related to the issue, and a panel of guests that will leave no evidence to the imagination, All Rise swears to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Your host... Dylan Howard.
1: Lies, leaks, and secret lovers. A royal bombshell. Meghan Markle married. Buckingham Palace Rock will have all the details on this breaking news story. Plus, an all-star political panel to dissect Robert Mueller, the Russia Probe, the lamestream media, and much, much more. Is Kanye West having a meltdown? Or is he simply trying to make America great again? This is All Rise, Episode 3, Season 1. They say this is going to be the royal wedding of the century when American bride-to-be Meghan Markle walks down the aisle with Prince Harry. But a new report out is a bombshell. It is the sensational claim that Meghan Markle was not married once, but was indeed married twice. The first marriage swept under the rug, annulled, and not yet known until the National Enquirer came out with this bombshell story. And joining me here to discuss this sensational report on All Rise is James Robertson, the editor of OK! Magazine, and Rob Shooter, the gossip columnist at the National Enquirer. James, to you first, what can you tell us about this bombshell claim that Prince Harry has been blindsided by this secret?
2: The news has put Harry in a, in a very difficult spot. When the palace were made aware of the story that was being reported out by the Enquirer, they were rocked. It's very fair to say that they did not want this story to be published. It's very much a secret that's been kept from Meghan's friends, from her family, and claims of this annulment began many months ago. Uh, Harry is none the wiser until this story hit the press. Okay, so
1: let's break this down. According to the National Enquirer that's on newsstands uh, this week, Meghan Markle was wed for the first time after a two-year relationship. It was a brief union, but her records have been completely swept clean. And... According to this report, it was indeed intelligence agencies in Britain that did that, James.
2: That's true, Dylan. It was the same case with Kate Middleton, of course, who is Prince William's wife. When they began to plan for the wedding, agents at MI5 began to bleach any history that was potentially scandalous or damaging. The same can be said here for Meghan. It's known to us, and many sources, that Britain's spy agency, the government, and MI5 can also operate under a European Union court law, which is known as the right to be forgotten. This allows individuals to permanently delete information relating to a person's name, specifically disannulment for Meghan.
1: So who is husband number one?
2: That's a very good question. Husband number one, we believe, is an attorney. He is Jewish. He's a very good-looking man. When he was approached for comment on this story, he became very flustered and agitated, almost as if he was worried he was about to be exposed. He began being very aggressive and sharp, And later released a statement to us in which we included his denial that he is, in fact, the right man. However, we do know that this man has travelled with Meghan, that they had an ongoing two-year relationship, and their relationship was known to a select few. However, anyone who has uh, intimate knowledge of their relationship has been silenced.
1: So, how did Meghan Markle react to this and also Buckingham Palace, James?
2: I'm told the Palace and Meghan were flustered, blustered and completely overwhelmed by news of this story going public. Uh, I'm told that Meghan was in tears that evening, whether or not that was related uh, is yet to be known or confirmed. However, the press secretary was curious and despite denying the story, he continued to press the Inquirer's reporter for more details. How did we know who this man was? Yet, He claimed this man did not exist. It was very curious behaviour from the palace, whose M.O. is usually silence. All right, Rob Shooter, let's analyse this. Meghan Markle has a
1: secret first husband. It has me asking this question. Did she fess up and tell Harry? Or is the first Harry heard about it when the Inquirer went to Buckingham Palace?
0: Well, let's be, let's be honest here. It wouldn't be the first time a celebrity found something out by reading the National Enquirer. That's happened a lot. It happens an enormous amount. This is really, really suspicious. And she didn't just fool Harry here. She fooled the nation. If this story turns out to be as accurate as I believe it is, it's really really shocking, not because she had a marriage annulled. She kept it a secret. What is going on? Why was this so, so important to a raise? Why did she go out of her way to never, ever mention this? Had she fessed up about it early on, we could have dealt with it. She's breaking a ton of rules. She's already been married that we know of at least once. It's an interracial um, young lady we're talking about. So many of the rules have been broken for her. I think the palace would have would have been disappointed, but would have dealt with it. They, they have the best publicist in the world. They have the best attack team in the world. They could have handled this. What they can't handle is being blindsided by a major magazine. If she didn't tell them, they know that now they have on their hands trouble. What else is she so, hiding?
1: Let's, this, this would raise royal eyebrows because it's not normal for a divorcee to marry into the monarchy, Camilla uh, obviously did with Charles in his second marriage, but to have somebody that would have been married twice, that's kind of a bit mm. taboo for the royals.
3: It, it,
0: not, not a bit. It's, it's shocking. It just would not happen. And then to lie to the Queen, to lie to the Sovereign, it's, it, it, it's unheard of. What else is she hiding? Why is she lying? Are they about to jump into something that they have no idea about? The palace are absolute control freaks. They know everything. And for somebody to think she can marry the most famous bachelor in the world and keep secrets, it's foolish. I thought Meghan was a savvy devil. I mean that in the nicest possible way. I thought that this was a really, really smart young lady. And I think I have to readdress what I think about her because I think she's really stupid if she's trying to keep a secret. As big as this, secrets always get out. We have the best reporters in the world. We break stories all the time. I'm, I, I don't understand why this is something that she worked so hard to keep so secret for so long. It's not what she did that's the problem here. It's the cover-up. It always is. It's the cover-up. Who knew? When did they know about it? And why are Talk, they keeping it a about secret? about the cover-up, that's what I, want James, to know. I
1: want to just go back to that notion that you mentioned earlier about how British agents were tasked with bleaching Megan's mm. checkered past and potentially even silencing anyone that would reveal damaging secrets about her deep and dark personal information. How do they do that? And did, you, you mentioned that they did that with Kate Middleton as well.
2: Well, with Kate, it was a much easier situation for them to contain. Uh, many of her exes or people who knew of her secrets, they were British so under the UK law, it's far easier for them to silence, to contractually oblige these people into gagging orders so that they cannot talk in fear of being sued, which over here in America is obviously the classic NDA. But in America, there's a lot more freedom of speech and it's a much bigger place in the UK. So when you've got Buckingham Palace chasing tails to try and cover up anything that Meghan may have done previously, it's a lot trickier than it is for the access that they have at home. Kate Middleton, all of her exes are in public records available to the palace. In America, it's not the same. They don't have the same carte blanche access to private information as they do at home. There are. Right. Can I
0: just jump, can I jump in too? I think that the palace is still getting used to that we live in now a global economy, a global world. And so they still try to keep secrets in Britain that get out elsewhere. Recently, you know, within the last couple of years, there was pictures of Kate bathing topless. These pictures were banned in the United Kingdom and, and in Europe. They were available somewhat, although the palace tried to stop them in America. Now with the internet, now that the way that the world runs and works, it's impossible. It's impossible to ban something in one country and not the other. This is out of the bag now, thanks to the Enquirer, and now the palace has so, to catch-up. So,
1: James, we know that she was previously married now, as we understand it, a second time to a movie producer, Trevor Engelson. That lasted just two years. What do we know about him and how he feels about Megan? Because to me, it's really curious, right? We've not heard from this guy. His husband number two and would be manna from heaven for anyone covering the royal wedding. But he's not said a peep. Has he been silenced?
2: I think the most important thing to bring up there is that he's also gone missing. I know of many investigators who MIA. have MIA. He has gone MIA. Many investigators have All tried points to track him Please down find
1: Trevor Engelson.
2: On, uh, on behalf of newspapers around the world who are desperate for his side of the story, for the Megan that nobody knows. But nobody can simply find him. They believe that he sold up his house in LA. He may be renting somewhere nearby. But curiously, he did come under fire for being involved as a producer... On a uh, royals-related TV show, which again was just more embarrassment for the Queen, that she could be tied again into something scandalous and salacious at Meghan's fault. Well, fellas, it is
0: shocking that we can't find him. Like every reporter I know, including all the ones that work with us, want to get this guy. And he could say something nice. I don't, I don't necessarily want to get him for him to say something bad.
2: He could say what a great girl she was. I think Rob, that, that I don't think he has much. To say that's nice. There's been. If you, she's been dogged uh, by rumours.
1: If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all.
2: Absolutely, <laughs> she's been dogged by rumours of. I reckon there
1: might be a check that might have silenced him as well. That is the last, I, the last thing the royals would want, or Megan would want, would be for him to shout from the rooftops about what a bad wife she was.
0: Yes, and now, he could do that very easily. He was with her for two years. He knows if she snores, her bad dental hygiene. I don't hygiene, think she uh, would snore. You never know, but he knows, and he's not said a word, and so it's so curious that he's not even said something nice, not even said something nice, said nothing. That's suspicious.
2: There are photos I've been made aware of, but yet I have i don't have uh, in my possession of Megan and Trevor on their honeymoon, in which Megan appears to be smoking marijuana, which of course in America... Hello, breaking news, bombshell tonight! In, ...in many states, absolutely fine and, and, and legal, but... In the UK, it's still a Class B drug. Possession can get you jail time. Now- so, hang
1: on. Not only has she got a secret husband, she's got a secret drug
2: past. <laughs> she's got a drug past. Dan Robertson, just the with the
1: exclusives here James, on All Rise. You're on fire.
0: We're, we're at the tip of the iceberg with Meghan Markle. I'm telling you, there's more shoes that are going to drop. We're going to break them all. I'm confident of it. But this is going to be a wild, wow. wild ride. They don't know what they're into to yet.
1: Indeed, it will. And I have the question, will more secrets from her past ruin the marriage before it's even begun or could there even be rob a royal intervention to stop the wedding james robertson the editor of OK, and rob shooter straight shooter thanks for joining us all right coming up next we have an all-star political panel only we can get guests like this on all rise The man who lasted a world record 12 days as the White House communications director. And I say that with tongue firmly planted in cheek because Anthony Scaramucci is a good friend and a man who, despite provoking a lot of controversy, is one of the most educated and profound pundits on the right. He'll be joining me to talk everything from Kanye West through to the Robert Mueller probe, the mainstream media and their secrets and lies. And he'll be joined by Dr. Daryl Scott, who, of course, is the board member of the National Diversity Coalition for Trump and was a member of President Donald Trump's executive transition team. It's our all-star political panel. Stick with us. On the line is the man who was appointed White House Communications Director, Anthony Scaramucci, the man who lasted... A record setting 12 days as the head of communications for Donald Trump and Daryl Scott, who has long been a uh, supporter of the president and was a member of Donald Trump's executive transition team. First to you, Anthony Scaramucci. It emerged this week that the special counsel Robert Mueller has set a list of more than four dozen questions that he wants to ask President Trump about his ties to Russia and other matters. This long list of questions has now turned into a game of who did what? Who leaked it? Did President Trump leak these questions to the New York Times? Or indeed, did it come from Mueller's side? What's your take?
4: I definitely don't think it came from Mueller's side because they haven't been leaking anything for the last 15 months. So I think it'd be very hard to prove that it came from them. I know that uh, some of the detractors of the mayor are trying to say that he leaked it. Uh, But I know the mayor personally, and I actually talked to the mayor yesterday. He didn't even have access to those uh, questions. So he's got to be struck off the list of uh, suspects. But um, it's a good question, did the president leak them? Because, uh, you know, at the end of the day, the president absolutely, in his heart, knows that he's innocent, knows there was no collusion or obstruction of justice. And you know it's it's not impossible that he himself could have leaked them because you know he just wants to get this thing over with and that could be a way to put more pressure on the case. So we'll have to see. You know I I don't I don't think it was from Mueller though.
1: Yeah, I mean this raises a pretty serious question though. President Trump has denounced the leak to the New York Times, calling it disgraceful. The evidence would suggest, as you point out, that Mueller, who has been watertight in this investigation and has leaked nothing, it's been a downright leak-free operation, is the president trying to fool America by saying he didn't have anything to do with it, his team didn't have anything to do with it, Giuliani had nothing to do with it, yet it seemingly points that all evidence would suggest that his team did do that?
4: It's definitely not Giuliani, though. I can tell you that. But you know, if if the president's saying it's disgraceful, then it's probably not him. But it's not somebody on the Mueller side. So I don't. I'm not. I'm not trying to play a game of Clue on your show. But but it's 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 probably the butler in the kitchen with the knife. You know what I mean? It's somebody <laughs> inside the White House that did this.
1: So let let me ask you this question, though, Anthony. Why would the president's side want this out? I have an opinion about this. This was a list of 49 questions that I would say, how would I describe it? They were open-ended in the scope in which they asked. If I was President Trump and I was presented with this list of 49 questions, I would say, hell no, Robert Mueller. I'm not going to sit down with you for a fishing expedition. I
4: think that the president thinks differently than everybody else. That's why he made it to the presidency. And I think that one of the issues, as you probably know, is he has to exonerate himself from obstruction of justice. And so being willing to sit down with Robert Mueller is a sign that he hasn't done anything wrong and he's not quote unquote, trying to obstruct justice. And so um, I think that's why he's so edged up and wanting to speak there. His legal team is probably recommending not to speak because they don't want him to say anything that could be potentially a falsehood. And then he's accused of perjury. So, so there's a delicate thing here. I don't think he did anything wrong. I don't think he obstructed justice. Um, I do think that the uh, the Mueller team has now had 15 or 16 months. And I sort of side with secretary Condoleezza Rice where, you know, it's probably time to conclude the case at some point. And so I hope, I hope it comes to fruition here before the summer really gets going. The president's got a big agenda, For the back half of the year. There's also the process of solving the North Korean crisis. Um, My guess is he'll be working on the Iranian crisis soon. Let's end this unnecessary distraction on them.
1: Darrell Scott's also joining us, uh, the pastor who was a member of President Donald Trump's executive transition team. Something that Anthony said there, I think, is very, very critical this. 49 questions that were ambiguous in their nature, with really only one that struck out to me, which was the question about Paul Manafort and whether he had asked questions of the Russians during the campaign – about seeking their intervention. Such a laundry list of questions. If President Trump was to sit with Mueller, to me, would suggest it would put him at hazard of perjury because the questions were not finite in their detail. Your thoughts?
3: I'm in agreement with you. I think that Mueller is, once again, as uh, my friend Mook said, on a fishing expedition. And, you know, the pep president wants to be vindicated in the eyes of the American public. I mean, for lack of a more sophisticated term, the president wants to be able to stand up and say, I told you so. I'm innocent. But, you know, Mueller is looking and they're going to try to microanalyze anything the president says, as he's been microanalyzed ever since he entered into this campaign. But they're going to do it and if one statement is somewhat out of place, they're going to try to use it against him. I wouldn't recommend him sitting down with Mueller. And I would also recommend that they negotiate these questions. And maybe we can provide written answers. But as far as taking the stand with him, with some people that are decidedly against him, that I don't believe want to be fair and unbalanced, I wouldn't do
1: it. All right, I have my all-star political panel, Dr. Daryl Scott and Anthony Scaramucci with me. Another couple of topics that I want to to handle here. And one of this delicately involves myself and the <laughs> incorrect and absurd suggestion from the mainstream media that the last week's cover of the National Enquirer, which featured Donald Trump's self-admitted fixer, Michael Cohen with the headline Secrets and Lies. Gentlemen, listen to this. It is staggering to me that the following individuals have used their airwaves to make sweeping assertions about that cover of the National Enquirer without even asking AMI for content. Let's go through the names. Bill Maher, Don Lemon, Paul Begala, Kate Baldwin... Rachel Maddow, Chris Matthews, John King, Jim Acosta, John Berman, MJ Lee, Joe Scarborough, his sidekick and lover Mika, Megan Toohey, Emily Jane Fox, Keith Boykin, Margaret Hoover, Paul Butler, Matt Welch, Lawrence O'Donnell, Mara Wiley, Chuck Todd, Dana Bash, Casey Hunt and John Harwood. That's a selection of names that I've put together over the last 24 hours that have breathlessly gone on television and said the National Enquirer and by association me would never have published a story about Michael Cohen unless President Donald Trump signed off on the story. Now, yesterday... I released the following statement in response to the repeated suggestions that President Trump influences the National Enquirer's editorial decisions. I said, Donald Trump, quote, has never been consulted on editorial decisions, has never requested that a story be written on a given subject or angled in a certain way, and never requested a story be killed, period. Despite that. Brian Stelter, the self-appointed media czar of America, goes on television on Kate Baldwin's show having not sought comment and says Trump told the Inquirer to do it. Don Lemon's show never sought comment. Brooke Baldwin's show never sought comment. Jake Tapper's show on CNN sought comment 30 minutes after they aired their goddamn story. This is a major problem problem with the mainstream media the mooch react to that
4: well i mean listen i mean my my reaction first of all i I love daryl too but let me tell you my reaction that they are so deranged now and they are so upset at the way the president has handled them that they're spinning out of control it's literally like watching a greek tragedy and so they've They've changed their whole objective standards of journalism. They've changed their whole uh, filter of what's biased and isn't biased. And lastly, um, they've actually done something that I didn't think was possible, but they've actually turned the American public off on them. And so the screeching that the American public hears on these news channels now has turned the American public deaf to them. And if anything, they are now helping the president get reelected.
1: Here's what really gets on my goat. So I released that statement to CNN after their complete disregard for what is a very basic foundation of journalism. Seek comment before you protest. And they protested loud and wrongly. So before Wolf Blitzer goes on his show, I send the statement. Gloria Borgia, who is their chief political analyst, breathlessly goes on air after hearing that statement and says, quote, their statement was that Donald Trump has never told us to kill a story. But she says point blank, as a matter of fact, but other people have. So I emailed Gloria Borgia last night and I said, you're 100% wrong. This is defamatory and it is based on hearsay. And I would expect more from you who I greatly admire. Her response, I'm sorry you feel that way. The mainstream media has turned in to an ill-informed attack dog on Donald Trump and fills their airwaves with innuendo, hearsay, half-truths to fulfill the narrative that they want to put out there. Dr. Darrell Scott? What? Well,
3: first of all, let me say this, you guys, uh, your publication is outside of the quote-unquote mainstream media, and they think that you have a degree of access that they do not have. So there's a professional jealousy there, you know, you're not in the the fake news clique with them. And it's simply, these type of things validate the fake (laughs) newsness of their uh, organizations, now, one thing they will do, however, they should—they've they, driven up sales. So for this week, if no other time that they made you the topic of conversation, they're going to drive sales up. But they claim to be experts at everything, and they're in actuality experts at nothing. They have that condescending attitude as if they know everything. And the thing is, the sad is that they have a certain segment of the American public deceived. So they'll pontificate on television, and now they're experts on the National Enquirer. They're experts. on on everything that they are in actuality, not experts at. In fact, they're actually illiterate in those areas and they claim to be experts, and they're doing the American public a huge disservice.
1: Well, here's what I would say to that, and this really has got me fired up. If there is a distortedly conspiracy which these so-called media experts and pundits claim, where is their proof? Where is their smoking gun? Don't give me circumstantial hints, threadbare proof points, It's time for them to show the conspiracy between Trump and the Inquirer exists, that there is a hotline between the Oval Office and National Inquirer headquarters, come up with the evidence of collusion, or shut the hell up.
3: And they're probably going to try to get Mueller to find
1: it. Good luck with that. If he can't find the Russian (laughs) collusion, he ain't going to find the collusion between the Inquirer. And the president and the Oval Office. I want to change tack now. Much has been reported about John Kelly, who I know is a big supporter of yours, Anthony Scaramucci, uh, supposedly calling the president an idiot in front of other White House colleagues. He, of course, has denied this. This is not the first time that a member of Trump's inner circle has been accused of using not so pleasantry titles to describe the president. Your reaction to John Kelly's comment?
4: Well, you know, I, I'm going to take John at his word that he probably didn't call him an idiot. I, but I would say, you know, if you're really reading the tea leaves here, my guess is that he's had some level of frustration. The personality differences between the two of those guys are about as diametrical as you can get, from you know, from my observation. And so, you know, and I'll, I'll maintain it, and it probably will sound like I'm talking my own book, but I'll maintain that uh, his abrupt firing of me because I made a mistake on a telephone line actually cost him because I could have been there to help them uh, restage that culture and rebuild morale inside the white house. And unfortunately that sort of uh, command control operation in the civilian organization never really worked. So, so it's been a rough time for him. Um, he's a, an American patriot and obviously he's a gold star family member. So I have a lot of respect for him in certain categories of his life, but the job that he's doing there. He's probably mismatched for that job. And, you know, people get mad at me for saying that, and that's fine. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be uh, objective in helping the president. I think the one problem people have to recognize about Washington and the West Wing is there's, you know, a thousand reporters crawling all over the place. It is like living in a fishbowl or an aquarium. And so it's it's better to state it publicly uh, so that it can heal and be rebuilt as opposed to pretend that it's not happening.
1: When you were at the White House, Anthony, was General John Kelly, who, as we know, is the chief of staff, was supposedly the gatekeeper between President Trump and those around him that would, according to General Kelly, to paraphrase, somewhat influence the president beyond what Kelly wanted him to be influenced. Now we're hearing reports that Trump is relying more on personal use of his cell phone and he's talking with, quote-unquote, the outside world. Is he talking to you? Uh,
4: infrequently. You know, I, I talk to him once in a while. I don't want to exaggerate my relationship with him. I mean, i probably have talked to him. I, I was fired about nine months ago. I probably talked to him about uh, you know 12 to 14 times, something like that. But I, I think, again, that's the problem. You have to not impose the job on the president. You have to look at the president's uh personality and then reverse engineer what you would want in the chief of staff. As an example, find out what the president likes to do, find out the parts of the job that he doesn't really like, find out the people like Reverend Darrell Scott that he wants to talk to, make sure that they're in his calling orbit, find out the people that he wants to traffic inside and out of the Oval Office, and drop the whole control thing because it's never worked in the 45, 50 year business history of president trump it's not going to work in the Oval office and so somebody that had the strength of personality and the security to allow that kind of access without thinking anybody's end running them would work but, in, but to balance that though when you're somebody like john kelly or ryan's Priebus, washington is a zero-sum game society these guys stab each other's uh, backs they cut each other's eyeballs out so I think that's one of the reasons why these chief of staffs try to control all the power that goes into the uh, the Oval Office. But again, it's not going to work with President Trump. So he'd be better off designing something that fit his personality rather than reading some textbook about how to be a chief of staff.
1: All right, the last topic on my political roundtable. And, Daryl, I'm going to go to you first with this. This week we saw what many have described as the unravelling Of Kanye West. Not only did he release a two-hour interview, he also visited the offices of TMZ for a live interview that, well, could only be described as wild. And he's drawn tremendous, tremendous anger for what seemingly were flippant comments about the history of American slavery. This is what he said. When you hear about slavery for 400 years, for
2: 400 years, that sounds like a choice. <laughs> like, you was there for 400 years and it's all of y'all? You know, like, it's like we're, we're mentally in prison. I like the word prison, because slavery goes di- too, too direct to the uh,
4: idea of blacks. It's like slavery, Holocaust, Holocaust Jews, uh, slavery is blacks.
1: So prison is something that unites us as one race, blacks and whites being one race uh that we're one we're we're the human race dr daryl scott your immediate reaction to what kanye said
3: well first of all i don't think it was the unraveling of kanye west i think it was the unveiling of kanye west i think that he um is simply having a little difficulty articulating his feelings or filtering his words but I know what he feels and I know what he's going through. And he's saying simply that I can be a free thinker. I can like who I want to like without being vilified. And uh, I'm not going to allow anyone to change the way I feel. I mean, what he's going through now, I've been going through it for the last two years. And I don't see anything wrong with what he's saying, even with his so-called slavery content, uh, comment. Notice that he said that the slavery will be mental. And that a lot of people, he's saying, I don't even want to call it slavery. I want to call it prison because people, a lot of people are imprisoned in their minds. And so he doesn't want to perpetuate this slavery narrative uh, and use it as a reason to uh, underachieve or not achieve or to walk around society with a chip on his shoulder. He's simply telling people, look, think for yourself. Make your own decisions. Don't let other people think for you. And he's being crucified for it. And, you know, I empathize with him and I sympathize for him at the same time. Because there's no guile in his heart. When I look at his eyes and I see his speech, he's simply saying, I want to talk uh, and express my inner feelings without fear of oppression or fear of, I mean, he's being threatened. And think about it. This isn't a time when people are saying you can identify as you want to identify. If you want to call yourself a man or a woman, everything has become subjective. But this mind mentality wants to take away his right to free thought and free expression. And say, well, you know, you can only be free as long as you agree with our narrative.
1: I get that, Daryl, but there have been some suggestions and very well-founded suggestions that he might be abusing or using drugs and that his statements that he's making at the moment are the result of his inability to stabilize his prescription medical use there have been suggestions that he's used opioids and the such. Is that a matter of concern?
3: I don't think it is. You know, they weren't questioning his mental faculties when he said George Bush doesn't care about black people. As
1: long as this conversation fits
3: the narrative of the left, they're fine with it. When it does not, when it goes against the grain, now they're looking for reasons. I mean, to be honest, you got mad Maxine Waters questioning the words that are coming out of Kanye mouth. Now, that's just a classic case of the pot calling the kettle black. I just think that, that, you know what he reminds me of? He reminds me of someone that, you know, in, my, in Christianity, you have those that are new converts. They believe the Bible. They believe in Jesus, but they haven't read enough of the Bible to be able to argue it. And he, I don't think he was prepared to argue his, his beliefs. Uh, he, if he had any sense, he will prepare himself. I don't think he thought he would receive this, this storm that he's found himself in because of the fact that he simply wore hat and said he liked President Trump. I don't think he was ready for the pushback. And so he's caught off guard and he hasn't had time to craft an argument he's shooting from the hip.
1: Anthony, what does uh, this say? I mean, this comes back to the issue that I mentioned earlier about the mainstream media and its insatiable desire to attack Trump and anybody associated with him. Kanye West is proud to wear a Make America Great Again cap and he's pillared in society for doing so.
4: It's a a, a very dangerous time because uh, what, what the Reverend is talking about is a collective group think that is being empowered by the left. And so basically um, what, what Kanye is referring to is, is is the prison of the mind because you're now subjugating yourself to the thought of this collectivism. You know, you're not supposed to think certain things, say certain things, and that's where the whole political correctness movement has come from. But, but here's the central thing. We all have to remember the, the biggest, most important minority in our civilization is the individual. Uh, and when you step back and you think about where the Western canon has gone over the last 2000 years, it is really to embody and to allow the individual to have the personal freedom that was endowed to the individual by God. And so when you really think about the left, um, they want to take that away from you. They, they they want to force you into a style box, a communication box, and a thought and habit box that they subscribe to. If you don't subscribe to that, then their next move is demonization. Their next move is to state that you're mentally ill. The next move is to characterize you in a way uh, where you will no longer be able to have a voice that's effective. And so, so it's, it's, it's a sad thing to watch, and it's important for people like myself, Reverend Scott, Kanye, you, Dylan, um, to speak out about this so that we can educate young people about their choices. If they are left-leaning, God bless them. If they're right-leaning, that's their right as well. Uh, but it just seems like the right is way more willing and way more tolerant of the variety of ideas yeah. than people on the left.
1: I agree. I mean, I think it's a disconcerting view of the level of hysteria and partisanship that exists today, that so-called mainstream media outlets simply use innuendo, hearsay, unsubstantiated charges, and sweeping assertions to speculate, not report with fact, speculate about something that they supposedly know something about when all they are are self-styled know-it-alls with no root of fact or foundation or unequivocal evidence to support their statements. To me, it is an assault on the right in a constant torrent of distortion, half-truths and flat-out lies that people like you, Dr. Darrell Scott and Anthony Scaramucci and so many others have the brave, dare I say, audacity to stand up against the left-leaning media which is larger than the right to say these things and to set the record straight. You've been my political all-star round table for this episode of All Rise. I thank you both very much.
3: Well, thank you for having us. Let me say this in closing. I think Luke is very, very articulate, man. Listen, there's an opening in communications director. I think you need to put that out. <laughs> <laughs> I like you know, the way you d- talk. Your thought uh, processes are great. I think you need to put that application back in. I'm i, I
4: and get you your job back. I, I appreciate that call Ron La Orange and suggest that to him. But in the meantime, you know, for whatever reason, the first move that Kelly made was to fire me. I don't know if that was the right move. Time will tell. But I appreciate
1: that, Daryl. I'm sending you a hug over the phone. All right, man. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us. all care, guys. I don't know. I get pretty worked up when I watch that media coverage. And just how partisan it gets in attacking Donald Trump and anyone around him. And it goes against the very tenet of what journalism is. And that is to understand the facts before sprouting off falsehoods. Disappointing to see a long list of individuals, the so-called leaders in news coverage, so blatantly wrong and so blind to the facts. They don't want to hear it, and the reason they don't want to hear it is for their own gain. Perhaps Michelle Wolf was right. The media loves Donald Trump because they profit off Donald Trump. This has been All Rise, Season 1, Episode 3. We'll be talking to you next week with the podcast that has the guts to tell it like it is.